Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 10, which says, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. There are three things here that Paul is trying to tell and actually pray for the church at Colossae. The first thing is that we walk worthily of the Lord. Well, that's just being a, a, a good Christian who's living according to biblical principles. We're doing the things that God asks us to do, and we're doing these things joyfully to represent him well here on earth. And then the next part was pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, that we should be sharing the gospel, that we should be going to church, that we should be doing the spiritual aspects of our life, continuing prayer for one another. And then the last part is increasing the knowledge of God. And that means we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be studying the Word of God. We need to be implementing the principles that are laid out in the Word of God into our own lives. We need to be obedient and faithful. And as we carry these things out, our life will be much more joyful. We'll sense God's presence. We'll know His will. And we'll continue to do the work that He has predetermined that we should do here on earth. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio a wonderful couple with Global Outreach Mission. We have Pastor Jacob Severage and his wife Sharon, who work 
in the southern provinces in India. Sharon is a missionary kid whose father is Raja Sivaraj, who is a graduate of Prairie Bible Institute. She came from a rich Christian background, and Jacob shared how his family were not believers in Jesus Christ and how he became a, a believer through a neighbor who started a Sunday school class out of their home and served cinnamon buns. That was how he heard about Jesus. And today, Jacob, you have been in the ministry for just over 12 years, but you are just a young man. So how old were you when you turned your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ for full-time ministry? Uh, when I was 18 years old, that is the time I committed my life uh, completely to serve the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I was really interested in the part where you said about your parents literally throwing you out of your home and you had to live in the church. That's not a bad place to live, but no one wants to be thrown out of their home. But then they eventually gave their blessing to you to go to Bible college and you studied to become a pastor and you've been pastoring for over seven years and you have it in your heart to be a church planter. Tell us about your vision about planting churches in India. Uh, my vision and uh, the burden that God put to me, put in me is to uh, church planting. And uh, when I was in Bangalore, and uh, we see a lot of churches in Bangalore, every nook and every corner you see churches. Uh, uh, the desire was in me was to go and start a church where there is no churches to reach out the unreached. So then I wanted to. So then I started to pray about it to to go and to start churches. At that time, where I had a chance to come to move to Satyamangalam, which is a very remote area. So I was very happy to go there because I knew uh, that is the place where. Jesus is more needed, and uh, and I knew that I would go there and start planting churches. You just mentioned about Bangalore, where you've been living in southern India, that there were a number of churches. I know that most of our listeners realize that India is probably the second most populous country in the whole world, and there are many churches in India even though the Christians there are a very small minority, I think it's less than 10%, and it might be closer to 5% of Christians in that country. There's still a lot of people without the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, very true, because uh, India is a place with all mixed religion, and uh, you know most of the people, they, want, they like to have churches in the cities, but it's very few, they want the wanted to leave their comfort zone and go out uh, into remote places to serve the Lord. There were very few. And that was, that was when, when I saw that, you know, there have been so much needed, you know, uh, uh, to tell about Jesus uh, in places, in the remote places. So uh, that was the desire for me to go and start uh, planting churches and uh, to reach out the unreached. Praise the Lord. We're so thankful for men and women like you guys who are willing to give up the comfort, like you said, and go and plant churches in some very, very difficult places, and even in places where persecution takes place. Yeah, very true. I just would like to ask our listeners to pray for Jacob and Sharon Severage and their church planting ministry in India. Thank you so much for being in the studio with us today, and God bless you as you plant churches all over India. Thank you. Yeah. Bless you too. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. We're so thankful for those who pray for our ministry and also those who support our ministry because you know this is a listener-supported program and we cannot continue to be on the air without the support of our listeners. Many have put us in their will and have helped us that way and then others send in their donations. This, this month we're offering a wonderful booklet on spiritual gifts what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. One way the Holy Spirit empowers believers in the church is by creating ministries, opportunities to serve. Each believer contributes to the growth, both in numbers and in maturity of the church. If the Holy Spirit is the fire that gives the body warmth and life, believers are the members of the body that keep it moving. The Holy Spirit empowers believers to be part of these ministries. The spiritual gifts, then, are tools that we use to carry on those ministries. The function of spiritual gifts is service. Paul's main interest in his letters to the early churches is to teach, guide, and help them to grow as a body of Christ. You want to make sure that you get a copy of this booklet because it not only talks about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but how it relates to believers as they try to serve the Lord, and then also how they are used in the church to grow the body of Christ. And so you can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7 Alpha 7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Please write and get this booklet. I'm sure it will enhance your spiritual life. Today's message is from Dr. Fred Hartman and is entitled, Are We Close to the End Times? Printed copies are available upon request. Today our message will be dealing with the subject of Are We Close to the End Times? 
Our last message dealt with how God was bringing the Jewish people back to their homeland, Israel. Now we will move on to see the second end time prophecy concerning the Jewish people. We can know we are living in the last days because Israel has become a nation again. The last time the Jewish people had a nation was in 70 AD. The Romans came in under General Titus and conquered the land. As Jesus predicted, they totally destroyed the temple, sacked and burned Jerusalem, as well as other cities, killed many people, and left the land desolate. Mark Twain visited Israel in the mid-1800s and said it was nothing but desert wasteland. He felt nothing could ever bring it back again. All he saw were a few Bedouins living in tents and a few shepherds tending their flocks. Then something began to happen. At first, a few Jewish people came back to what was then called Palestine. They bought land in the north that was nothing but mosquito-filled swampland. No one else wanted it because of the yellow fever. These Jewish landowners now figured out a way to drain their, these swamps. When they did, they found the land was very fertile, just like the Bible said. Then they moved the sand dunes off the land near the Mediterranean Sea. That ground was also fertile. Today it produces Jaffa oranges, some of the finest in the world. In the aftermath of World War I, more Jewish people moved into Palestine and lived under the British mandate. All kinds of friction arose between the Jewish people and the Arabs. Finally, Britain got tired of it and pulled out in 1947. In our last message, we honed in on the return of the Jewish people to the land. This message will deal with God's end-time declaration that Israel will become a nation again. In Isaiah 12, 10-12, we find the key. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who were left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. In this passage of scripture, once again, it mentions a second time that God would cause the Jewish people to return to their homeland. This time it adds the fact that the millennial reign of Christ would be involved for the Gentiles will seek him. We must remember that between the rapture of the church and the millennial reign of Christ, there's only a seven-year period of time. The important thing to note here is the word translated banner. In the Hebrew, it is the word nes, which literally means a flag. When Israel became a nation in 1948, they made their flag to be the Star of David, signifying they were a nation again. In the passage we just read, it speaks of the one whose roots were in Jesse, the father of David, and Jesus is called the son of David. To better understand that the Bible promises that Israel would be a nation again, we must consider what Ezekiel points out in chapter 37. Early in this chapter, we find the vision of the dry bones. In this vision, Ezekiel was taken out to a great valley that was full of dry human bones. 
signifying that the bodies had been dead for a very long time. Then the Lord asked him if these bones could live again. I'm certain that in his mind he felt they could not. However, he answered the Lord by telling him, O Lord God, only you know. Then Ezekiel was told to prophesy over these bones, which he did. Then he witnessed an amazing event. The bones began to move and come together to form complete skeletons. As he continued to watch this strange event, he saw the tissues, the muscles, and even the skin come back on these bodies that were now complete. There was only one problem. They were still dead. Then Ezekiel was commanded to prophesy again. And when he did, the scripture tells us exactly what happened. So, I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. To understand this prophecy of the dry bones, we must understand it's a picture of the Jewish people scattered all over the world. As Ezekiel prophesied, God would put the bones together back in their homeland again. At that time, they would still be spiritually dead. It is only then that God will cause them to turn to him. He will cleanse them and give them a new heart and truly be their God. According to chapters 12 through 14 of Zechariah, this change of heart will occur at the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation, when he comes to establish his millennial kingdom, just as God promised the patriarchs way back in the book of Genesis. The thing that we should be careful to note is that we are seeing a great return of the Jewish people to the land now. We must be very close to the rapture of the church, which happens before all of these things are finalized. Are you ready for the rapture? You're probably aware that after the reign of David's son, Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided. There were ten of the twelve tribes that made up the northern kingdom called Israel. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, made up the southern kingdom and were called Judah. They remained divided until they both fell to their enemies. The question that comes to our mind then is when God brings them back from being scattered, will there be two nations and divided people or, on the other hand, just one? The answer is very clear from Scripture. The last half of Ezekiel 37 gives us a very clear answer. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it, for Judah and the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write on it, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions. 
Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you will write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves any more with idols and with their detestable things, nor will any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, and observe my statutes, and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children, forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nation also shall know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. This is a most fascinating portion of Scripture. As we have previously studied, once again, God promises to bring the Jewish people from all over the world back into their land that he had promised to their forefathers. When he does it, they will no longer be two nations as they were following the death of King Solomon. Also, he promises they will never be divided again. Furthermore, God promises that when he brings them home the second time, they will never again be forced to leave their land. This time, they will never again serve idols or do those detestable things that they had done before that brought God's judgment on them. This time they will be a cleansed nation and will walk in all the statutes of the Lord. The next portion of this passage is very confusing for many people. God promises that David will rule over them. I thought David died about 950 B.C. How could he rule over them again? Back in Ezekiel 34, verses 22 to 24, we read, Therefore I will save my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish 
one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The Lord promises Israel will be brought back to the second time. This time her people will come from the ends of the earth from all nations. This return will apparently take place not too long before the Lord returns to establish his millennial reign over the earth. We know from other places in Scripture that when Christ returns to the earth to establish that kingdom, believing Jews from the Old Testament will be resurrected to go into that kingdom promised to their forefathers. David will be among them. I am convinced that Jesus will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords over the entire world, but David will serve as a prince under him to fulfill the promises made by God so many centuries ago. As we have read these verses today, we have noted the Jewish people are returning to the land of Israel from all over the world. In our last message, we show you that they are coming in the exact order God gave them through the prophets. First, they would come from the east, Persia or Iran. Then they would come from the west or Europe, which they did after World War II and the Holocaust. Then they would come from the north or Russia. This took place in the 1980s and 1990s. Finally, they would come from the south. We have seen that take place with thousands of Ethiopian Jews returning to the land in recent days. As God predicted, we find that Israel is now one nation. They're under one flag with a fully functioning government exactly as predicted in the Bible. Not only are so many of the Jewish people back in their homeland, but they are excelling in so many fields such as medicine, agriculture, and electronics. For example, in the field of agriculture, they are now teaching other nations how to improve the quality and quantity of their crops. The only thing lacking is that they've not turned back to the Lord. This is exactly what Ezekiel 37 predicted. He declared they would return to the land in unbelief, which they have done. As we put all these facts together, the Word of God proclaims that these events would take place in the last days. If that is so, then and the rapture of the church takes place before Israel will finally turn to the Lord at the second coming of Christ, we must be very close to when the trumpet blows and believers are taken to be with the Lord. Here's where it gets very personal. Jesus could take believers to heaven at any moment. If that were to take place today, would you be taken up to meet him in the air, or would you be left behind? The difference is whether or not you have trusted Christ to be your Savior. The decision is yours. No one else can make it for you. What will you do about it? I trust you will make the right one. I trust the message you just heard will be a real blessing to your spiritual life and will help you grow in a closer relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here at Canada's National Bible Hour, we're really concerned about those who may be listening to our broadcast who don't know Jesus Christ personally and have a personal relationship with Him each day. The Bible is very clear. It points out, it's out over and over that we are all sinners, all sin and come short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
All of us have sinned and done things that we're ashamed of, things that we know that we shouldn't have done, and yet we did them anyway. And of course, we have a holy God who's pure, who's perfect, is righteous, and is totally holy. And because of that, those facts, he can't be in the presence of sinners, any sin. And so he has to judge sin. But he made a way because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the simple act of faith, if you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is God who became man, who went to the cross and bore your sins in his own body, he took your place, he took the anger that God has towards your sins and put it on Jesus, he died and he rose on the third day. If you believe those things and are sincere in your beliefs, you can bow your head and you can ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life. Because John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, receive Jesus. Unto them gave he the right to become the Son of God. If you want to be a child of God, receive Christ as your personal Savior. Don't forget to write in to get your copy of the booklet, Spiritual Gifts. I know that this will help your spiritual life, and I know that it will be a real blessing to you and to those that you share it with. You can write Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7. Or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. You can also listen to past messages on Canada's National Bible Hour by visiting our website at www.missiongo.org. And please remember us in your prayers. We trust the Lord will be with you throughout this next week. 